We are kicking off a brand new series for the month of December called The Whole Christmas Story. And it's kind of a unique twist on uh, on the Christmas story. It's probably a little bit different, uh, maybe something that you've never experienced. But one of the things that um, that, I, that obviously December is all about is the birth of Jesus. And I find it interesting that um, that we, as Christians and as churches, we spend a ton of time just talking about the birth of Jesus, which by no means am I taking away from the most, uh, one of the most important and greatest historical events that's ever taken place, the fact that God would send his son, Jesus, fully God, fully man, as a human being to be born in the same earth that you and I live on. But I think sometimes we only look at that part of the story in the life of Jesus in regards to Christmas, but there's more to the story. And so we want to share the whole Christmas story, if you will, over the next four weeks. Obviously, there are so many things that, um, that we're going to have to skip over, miss out, can't talk about, because we're literally going to try to cover the whole life of Jesus uh, in four weeks. However, we're going to do it backwards. And so this week, today, we're actually going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Next week, we're going to go to the cross. The following week, we're going to look at Jesus' life. And then the last week, which will be on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the birth of Jesus. And so I'm super excited about it. I hope that you are. It's going to be unique. It's going to be interesting. I pray that you get some perspectives that maybe you've never gotten before, seen before, heard before, and can be challenged and encouraged and inspired to grow in your walk with Christ uh, and to mature or whatever that looks like to take your next step so that you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. And so what a great opportunity we have. And so today, as we dive into the resurrection of Jesus, there's a word that comes to mind that I kind of want to center uh, the entire message around. I want to kind of keep coming back to, keep kind of um, this word as the focal point, the center of the message. I don't think that this message is going to be long, at least in my head and in my heart. But that word, that word is empty, empty. And as I was thinking about this to kind of humor you, there are two different types of people in life, all right? This literally just defines every personality. You don't need Enneagram. You don't need a DISC assessment. All you need to know is where people stand with what I'm about to show you, and you can just understand their personality type. All right, you ready for it? Here we go. Two types of people. There's these people right here on the left where the gas needle is on E, and they're like, buckle up, baby. We can get at least another 75 miles out of this. And then you have these guys on the right. We're almost out of gas. They probably ha actually said that about like right here in this area, and they're freaking out because they got to get gas. Listen, if you are these people right here, the ones closest to me, you my people, bro. You my people. This is me right here. We, we got this. We good. We don't need to get gas today. We ain't on empty. We are ready to go. And then you have these weirdos over here who start freaking out and they take all the gas up and they literally could drive for another three days. All right, listen, 
I'm not trying to condemn you type of people, but I just want you to know the Bible says that if you would have the faith of a mustard seed, all right? So I pray that your faith would grow and you can watch that needle actually get below that last black line, bro. It's, it's, it's exhilarating. Like, I love it. And uh, I think you should try it out sometime. But, but for real, like, like, literally, you have these two different types of people, these two different illustrations. And what is happening here is that there are two different uh, perspectives, two different understandings, two different definitions of empty. And so one says, oh, we're good. We're not on empty. And the other one says, oh my gosh, we've been empty for a long time, right? Like, like there's two different meanings and definitions of the word empty here. I want you to hold that thought, okay? Because we're going to kind of keep that uh, I'm not letting you, you gas filler uppers that half a tank go that easy. We're going to bring it back around. But, but as I think about this, this aspect of empty, the, the definition of, of empty, the meaning of empty, and I think about the aspect of the resurrection. Like, listen, the tomb is empty, and it is empty the way that God created and designed and purposed it to be empty. But the resurrection of Jesus is by far, in my personal opinion, the greatest greatest historical event that has ever taken place. Literally, the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross, was crucified, but three days later raised up from the dead in a glorified physical body and now is alive at the right hand of my father. I don't know what historical event tops that and I am thankful for it. Somebody say amen. But with this This great and significant historical event also comes great and significant debates. I would say that this is probably one of the most debated historical events ever. And what I mean by that is that there are so many people over the years who have done their best to disprove disprove the, the, the reality, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to share a few of those with you, kind of a little trip down uh, history lane, if you will. I'm not a, a theologian or some great scholar, so I'm going to share it, uh, at least the information that I know and have read and studied in the Brian version, uh, which is a little bit like dumbed down down here. But I want to share a few different theories or thought processes or perspectives that people have that go against the resurrection of Jesus. I'll spend a little bit of time on on two main ones and then I'll just mention a couple more. But the first theory that that goes against the the reality of Jesus truly resurrecting from the grave is the stolen body theory. And so people will will actually believe that that the disciples or the apostles or some of Jesus' family came in and they went into the tomb where Jesus laid dead and they stole his body, which, which is the only way that he got out of this tomb. And so I want to just share a little bit about what actually took place. Obviously, Jesus, he died on a cross. They place him into this tomb and they seal it up with a huge stone. They, they put it in front, they seal it up, and then it is guarded by guards. And so some of the people who say that Jesus' body was were stolen will say that either the people who stole Jesus' body bribed the guards, 
the guards fell asleep and they were able to sneak by them, or they took these Roman guards down. Now, let me just tell you something. Jesus was a high-profile man at the moment. He had been stirring up all types of things by the way that he was living his life, the way that he was claiming to be the Son of God, and the actions and the things that he was doing that matched his claims. And now these Roman guards who were highly trained and highly, highly disciplined were standing guard in front of this tomb where Jesus lay. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think me and Joe Brown over here can go and get by these Roman guards who are highly trained and highly disciplined. I don't think they fell asleep, and I don't think that they would take a sum of money for me to go in and get Jesus because they took their job seriously. And the responsibility of a guard, if one got away, the person they were guarding got away, escaped, or whatever it may be. They didn't just guard dead people. They guarded prisoners and stuff like that. If one got away, if they were negligent in their duties, the punishment was guilty of death. And so these guards would literally lose their life if they were negligent in their duties. And so for someone to actually get past these guards would literally almost be impossible. All right? But let's play the game. They get by, all right, whatever reason. Maybe they won the Powerball, and they say, hey, man, we got 400 million. Here you go. Or, or they literally took them out and got around them. Maybe they were asleep. They snuck around them. Now we have obstacle number two. We have a rock in front of the opening of where Jesus lay. Now, this rock was believed to be about one and a half to two tons, all right? If you don't know what that is compared to, it's compared to one of your vehicles outside right now. And I and me and Joe Brown have never walked outside and moved a car before. And so not only that, if they were asleep, how would they move this rock without waking them? Like, it, it just doesn't make sense. But let's play their game. The body of Jesus was stolen and removed from the tomb. The tomb, if this is true, the tomb is empty, but not the way God wanted it to be. All right? Hang on to that. The next theory is what is called the swoon theory. All right? S-W-O-O-N, the swoon theory. And this theory essentially believes that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross that he was on the cross, he was being crucified, but he got to a place to where he passed out or he fainted, wasn't actually dead. They thought he was. They removed his body from the cross. They placed him in the tomb. And because of the cool temperature inside of the tomb, his body was able to heal and resuscitate, if you will, and he actually never died. That is a true theory. Now, this one is probably the easiest to disprove for many reasons, but let's start with the fact of what Jesus actually endured and went through before he even made it to the cross. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails, 39 lashes, right? If you don't know what that means, it means they believe that 40 lashes is what would kill somebody, and so they whipped somebody 39. In several places in the scripture, it would say 40 minus one. And so they whipped him literally to the point of death. And, and they made him carry his own cross. They placed a crown of thorns and pierced his head. And blood was running down his face. He was literally physically, I mean, beaten down to the place where, where he couldn't carry the cross. He was beaten 
past recognition, and now they place him on a cross, and people actually think that he was able to survive that. If that's not enough for you, there were several more that would prove that Jesus actually truly was dead. The next one would be that in, uh, I think it's in John chapter 19, verse 32. Don't quote me on that, but maybe check it out. <laughs> they, they would basically, when someone was being crucified on a cross, the guards would eventually go around and they would break the, whoever it was hanging on the cross. They would break their legs because the only way that they could survive as they're hanging on a cross would be to push up with their legs so that they could catch their breath. And so they would break their legs so that they could no longer push and essentially they would suffocate, which was how people died by crucifixion. It says in, in, in again, I think John chapter 19, that they went to Jesus, but they chose not to break his legs because they realized that he was already dead. But they broke the legs of the guy on the right and the guy on the left. And instead of breaking Jesus' legs, which, here we go, number three, they pierced his side. They literally put a spear in his side, okay? If that's not enough to believe that Jesus is dead, think about the aspect of what these men were set out to do. There were several groups of people there, there, was, there was Pilate, there was the Roman government, there was the Roman guards. Like, like they had one thing in mind, kill Jesus. We're going to kill him. And we see this guy by, by the name of Joseph. Joseph, Joseph comes by to, to get Jesus' body so that he could put him in the tomb. He asked Pilate for permission and Pilate hands over the body of Jesus. Do you think Pilate would have made sure that this man who he's handing over to who knows who, could have been a family member, he was actually a secret disciple, but I'm not sure that Pilate fully knew the relationship there, but he's gonna make sure that Jesus is dead and he hands this body over and then Joseph is able to put him into the tomb. And then lastly, if you haven't had enough, every time that Jesus is mentioned after the resurrection, the only thing that's mentioned about his physical body in regards to damage is his nail-pierced hands. And so if you can just fathom what Jesus just went through, the fact that he was beaten beyond recognition, and yet after he resurrected and he appeared to, to hundreds of people, literally, who were witnesses and people that he had conversations with, he appeared to the disciples, they, they never mentioned his body being as mangled up as it was. So he was resurrected in this glorified, renewed body, but still physically human, and nothing is ever mentioned other than his nail-pierced hands. So if that's true, that, that the swoon theory is true, let's play the game. The tomb is empty, but not the way God wanted it to be. Then there's a couple more. There's, there's the, uh, the hallucin hallucination theory, basically that, that as the people who were claiming to have seen Jesus and visited Jesus and had conversations with Jesus post-resurrection, that they were all crazy and lunatics and were hallucinating the tomb, if that's true, would be empty, but not the way God created it and wanted it. Then there's this, this aspect of, of the impersonation theory, that, that someone actually, uh, Jesus didn't truly resurrect, but, but that somebody was impersonating Jesus and appearing to these people claiming to be Jesus who looked like Jesus. And so people think that that's true. If that's true, the tomb would be empty, but not the way 
God wanted it or created it or designed it. And then there's one more, well, there's several more, but the lost tomb theory, they, that these people believe that, that they actually went to the wrong tomb, that they weren't sure, couldn't remember, couldn't locate the actual tomb that Jesus went in. And so they went into this tomb that was actually the wrong tomb and it was empty. And if that's true, the tomb is empty but not the way God created it or designed it. And so all of these theories, all right? So let's look at the real story of the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew 28, 1 and 2. Early on a Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, and he isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy as they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and he greeted them and they ran to him. They grasped his feet and they worshiped him. And Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. The tomb is empty and this is the way that God God created it. It's empty because Jesus is alive. It's empty because we have a risen Savior. It's empty because Jesus said it would be empty. It's empty because death has no sting. It's empty because this is what God created and designed and purposed it to be empty from and for. Can you imagine that? Hallelujah, praise God. The tomb is empty because we serve a risen Savior. Amen. Are you empty? Are you empty? And I know that that is such a loaded question, right? Like, Brian, where are you going with this? Like, what do you mean? Are you empty? And that's such a great question because as we've seen with the different people who look at their gas tank as empty in two totally different meanings, as we see the reality of what actually took place, the resurrection of Jesus versus all the theories and the difference in what it means to be empty in one and and empty in the real one, what does it mean when I ask you, are you empty? And I think for some of you, when I ask you, are you empty, your immediate response was, yeah, absolutely. I'm empty mentally. I'm empty physically, emotionally, psychologically. Like I'm broken. I've lost my purpose. I've lost my value. I've lost my worth. I've lost my zeal. I've lost my hunger, my passion, my desire for anything. I'm barely hanging on. Like I'm surviving, trying to get from one day to the next. So if you are asking me, am I that kind of empty? Yes, I am. And can I tell you something? 
God doesn't want you to be that kind of empty. God sent his son Jesus to bring us life, which is why the tomb is empty, because he is alive to give you and I life so that we don't have to be empty from that nature. May I propose to you a solution. And maybe you're not feeling that way. Maybe you're like, no, 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 things are great. I'm not empty. Can I propose the same solution to you? You want to know how? We get through these, 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 these seasons, these episodes, these moments, these months, maybe years of truly feeling empty. You want to know how you get through times where maybe you're not super close to Christ, you're not growing in your relationship. You want to know how you find ways to mature, to, to seek God, to pursue God, to be all that, that you have been called to be, to have purpose that's found only in Him. You want to know the solution to that? It's to be empty. It's to be empty. You see, there's, there's two different types of empty. And God actually wants you and I to be empty. Not the type of empty that we just talked about, where you lose focus of, of who you are and who God has created you to be. But he wants us to be empty in so many aspects of our life. Check this out, Philippians chapter 2. Five and seven. Actually, I think it goes all the way to 10, but it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he said, I want you to have the mind of Christ. He says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the type of emptiness that God wants for us to be, to be emptied in, in regards to having the mind of Christ, to be emptied in regards to being a servant, to being emptied in regards to having a humble posture and attitude, to be emptied to the place where all we want to do is sacrifice as Jesus did, to be emptied to where we understand that this man named Jesus that we love and we live for and we serve is the name that is above every name and that one day every knee is gonna bow before that name name. Every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. That is the emptiness that God wants for us to empty ourselves so that we can be filled with that. Like what if we took this Christmas season and and we took time to, to empty ourselves of all the things that pull us away, that distract us, that make us get our priorities off, that keep us from being who God has created and wanted us to be. Do you see the difference in the levels and the definitions of what it means to be empty? This is the emptiness that God desires for us. What do you need to empty out? What do you need to empty out? 
What's in your life that you know you need to get rid of so that you can become more Christ-like and have the mind of Christ to be humble, to be a servant, to sacrifice, and to worship and glorify the only name that matters? What do you need to empty yourself of? I was thinking about I was thinking about this in regards to life and how, how sometimes you go through a season and, and you're not really fully grasping what is taking place and acknowledging it. And then it seems like you get to the other side and you take a peek back and you're like, whoa, what just happened? Like, what did I just go through? How did I get to this place? How did I get to that place? And, and, and it's mind-blowing the things that we see once we get through it. But as I think about how, how do we do that? Like, how do I go through this season where I don't even fully know what's happening and, and I'm trying to empty myself of things and, and, and I'm trying to, to pursue Christ? You know what I think happens? I think we're able to identify certain things that we can empty ourselves of, certain things that we can get rid of, but I think that there's still things that, that we hold on to, that we cling to, that we won't fully empty out. I was sitting at my desk this morning at, at, our, at our studio right here where we're recording. Um, there's, a, there's a trash can right beside my desk, and I went to throw something away, and I saw a water bottle in there, and it's actually probably mine to begin with. But I, I saw it, and I noticed something. This bottle was thrown away, again, probably by me, uh, because it was empty. So I said, oh, I don't, I'm done with it. I'm throwing it away. It's empty. But then I actually looked at it, and I said, you know, it's not actually empty. There's, there's actually stuff still in there, quite a bit. But I had seen and labeled and identified and understood that this was empty. I wonder how often we do this with our lives. To where we have no problem getting rid of certain things in our life. Oh, I can empty, I can empty that, I can get rid of that. But yet there's that little bit that we just hold on to. What if that little bit is keeping you from experiencing God in a way that you have never experienced before? What if we completely, just like I just did, completely emptied ourselves of everything that's keeping us away from God? What if you emptied yourself of your pride? What if you emptied yourself of, of your bitterness, of your unforgiveness, of your lying, of the words that come out of your mouth, of the gossip, of the pornography, the drunkenness, the addiction, the drugs, like the stealing, the way that you talk to your kids, the way that you act towards your wife or your husband, like the way that you treat other people, the, the judging that goes on when you see someone who, who seems less than or less fortunate than you. Like, what if we just really took a, a true heart check this Christmas season? and said, I want to be empty. I want to be empty. I want to be empty like the tomb, completely empty, all gone. There's nothing there so that I can have the abundant life that Jesus offers and I can empty myself of me and be filled with him.
What would it look like for you to empty everything out this year, this last month, and get ready for a new year like never before? What would it look like this Christmas season to ask God to search your heart and to reveal the thing that you've been holding on to? Maybe you don't even know you're holding on to it, but you still have it just hanging out. You need to empty yourself fully and completely so that you can have life fully and completely. Church, let's empty ourselves. Let's let's not leave Jesus in a manger as a baby, but let's be reminded of the price that was paid and the, the resurrection, the miracle, the power of God that we serve a risen Savior. Don't you forget that this Christmas season. Let's empty ourselves of us so that we can be filled with Him. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for the greatest miracle ever that has ever occurred in, 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 in the history of, of the world. The fact that Jesus Christ was, was breathless and lifeless with no heartbeat physically but he was placed in a tomb as part of your plan to be raised from the grave and be risen to life and the tomb is empty and you are asking us to to empty ourselves just like the tomb so that we could be resurrected into a new and full and complete and abundant life that we only find when we're filled with Father, I pray right now, if there's anybody at the sound of my voice who's never entered into a saving relationship with you, that they would admit right now, they would believe that they are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. They understand that you sent Jesus Christ to a manger to live a full and human life, to die on a cross, but to not stay there, to be raised up from the grave three days later. And you have bridged a gap that we could not get across on our own. And they confess from this day forward that you will be the Lord of their life. Father, I pray right now, if there's anybody at the sound of my voice, that that they would comment right now below. They would make that decision more importantly. But after that, they would let somebody know. They would comment, I just changed my life forever. And that we could be able to walk alongside of them as a church and to help them take their next steps. Father, we are so thankful for who you are to us. Thank you so much for your word and this time that we have together. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' precious and holy name that is above every name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Church family.